podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, as well as Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, and UCF. Hope you are joining us today with the same number of fingers and toes and facial hairs that you started the holiday weekend with. Accidents do happen. I understand that entirely. It's a good weekend. Good holiday weekend. Sorry if you have a dog. We do. Poor guy. I've got one kid who loves fireworks and one who saw one of them pop or heard one pop, and I've never seen her look more terrified in her life. So interesting weekend. Also potty trained at the second one, the almost two-year-old. So yeah. I'm a little tired recording this at roughly 10.40 on uh, on Monday night, but I'm glad I waited until now. This episode is very different than it was originally planned two weeks ago when I started putting it together and lining up guests, getting it ready. That's what happens when your conference hires a new commissioner and college football goes through another massive upheaval. As you're all aware, obviously USC and, and UCLA are headed off to the Big Ten in 2024. That is now official. Think about everything that's happened since Big 12 Media Days last year. We were there, normal summer, everything's going good. The craziest thing we could say was that Les Miles got fired late and Lance Leipold came in and was going to, it was just a super late start. And that was the craziest thing we could talk about. And he couldn't make it to Big 12 Media Days. He was, he was stuck. They couldn't get him there. We won't be there this year, just a reminder. But, but since then, Texas and Oklahoma announced they are leaving for the SEC. The Big 12 announced that they are adding four new teams, Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and we now know exactly when they are all joining. Uh, Bob Bowlesby announced that he would be stepping down as commissioner. A new commissioner was hired in Brett Yormark, and then we found out that USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-12 to go to the Big 10. And Big 12 media days still are not here yet. That's next week, the 13th and 14th. That's all in less than a year's time. When it rains, it pours nowadays when it comes to college sports. Change is a common occurrence, and it's crazy. It's not a ton of fun. Uh, you could you could say it, maybe it's fun for those who are finding themselves moving up in the world, changing into, I guess, better zip codes. I'm not sure the fans of all those schools would entirely agree. There are some fan bases who care less about being the school that has the most money and more about protecting rivalries and, and tradition and years of, of playing certain teams over making the almighty dollar. But I, I get it. This is the direction that college athletics, specifically college football, are going in. Let's let's just let's start from here. This isn't conference realignment. And I really want to try my best and, and hope you try your best to avoid using that term. This isn't about conference realignment. This isn't conference expansion, even though the Big Ten and the SEC continue to grow. This is consolidation. It is a consolidation of wealth. It is the two conferences with the most money, the best relationships with the two biggest brands going at each other, and ESPN and Fox, going around and gobbling up the best brands they can. We'll talk more about brands in a minute. Big 12 is in a strong position right now, focusing on the conference that this podcast covers, uh, for the first time in what feels like a very long time. Since before, Missouri, Colorado, Nebraska, and Texas A&M bolted for the SEC and the Pac-12 and the Big 10. The conference feels in a strong position because the first time in a while, they're not the ones in trouble. In fact, you could make an argument that Thank you, Oklahoma and Texas, for being the first two schools to leave during this current wave of reshuffling because it put the Big 12 in a position of power almost. You have your eight schools who are bound together, whether they want to be or not, and you've added in the five 
best available G5 programs. Boise State fans, San Diego State fans want to argue that's fine. These are the four best programs from the group of five that will now be joining the Power Five, including by far the biggest valuable and biggest and most valuable brand available in BYU. There's that word brand again we keep using. So the Pac-12 is sitting in a situation where you look at every article that's written about expansion. It starts with San Diego State, so you have a Southern California presence. Then there's Boise State. There are issues with adding Boise State. Then they go into, can you poach the, the Big 12? Can you get a Texas Tech in Houston? Hey, hey, hey we, we didn't want you before. Um, we, we'd love you now in our time of desperation. And then it's, you know, it's, uh, UNLV, maybe. It's not Colorado State, because Colorado would freaking hate that. Yeah, Texas A&M probably didn't love Texas joining the SEC, but it's an interesting time. Look, I'll say this. I don't think it's a coincidence that your Mark News, the hiring of Brett Mark, your Mark, the announcement that he was going to be hired, and then him officially being hired came out before this did. Maybe it's just a coincidence. You know, sometimes things look like they mean more than they are, but they're just a coincidence. The Pac-12 may hold together for now. Maybe Oregon and Washington can do that. They are the two biggest brands. Uh, I am going to do my planning this week. I'm going to put out my list of what I believe are the 10 most valuable brands between what is left in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. I did a really hasty tweet this week, and I'm really sorry. I got in the whole, like, I got to do this first before somebody thinks of it, because a lot of times I think of something and I don't have time, and somebody else does it first, and I don't really want to do it anymore, because then I feel like I'm just copying them, and I wanted to be first, and um, or feel like I was the first one to do it, at least of anyone I had seen. And uh, I did a bad job. I did a bad job. A couple teams in there that should have been in there, a couple teams that left out that shouldn't have been West Virginia. So I'm going to actually do a little planning. And, and it's not like I just threw it out there. I did like 10 minutes of research. But I'm going to do that. But at the top of that list is Oregon and Washington. They are by far the most valuable brands left in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Maybe that's enough to hold the conference together. But it does feel like they will inevitably get invites to the Big 10. Far more than any of the current Big 12 schools. Sorry, Kansas. And it might be a while. Maybe it's maybe it's in six months. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's five years. Maybe it's 10 years. Maybe the Big Ten is just... I mean, right now, it's all about Notre Dame. Can the Big, can the Big Ten get Notre Dame to hop on? And for all of you arguing that they should, just make sure you understand how much a part of their identity, who they are as a program, is tied to their independence. Money talks, but it's going to have to talk real loud, and it's really going to be up to about... Would be about you know the fact that they have no access to the playoff and national championship, but maybe it'll hold together. I don't know about that. I think there's a decent chance to poach Pac-12 teams: Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. I assume they grasp the situation that they are in; that they are in a conference that, even if it holds together, still feels doomed in the long run. That you're going to lose the two other biggest brands you have. And when I rank the top ten brands across the Pac-12 and the Big 12, the most valuable brands. Across the two conferences, Oregon and Washington may be at the top, but seven of the other eight are going to be from the Big 12. Maybe, maybe only six. Six at the fewest, seven at the most. You have to wonder how Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado think about that. According to Jason Shear of the Wildcat Authority, that's the Arizona 247 sports site, those four Pac-12 schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, are expected to meet with the Big 12 on Tuesday. I don't doubt Jason's journalistic integrity. I don't doubt his sources. I take all news like this with a large grain of salt. Just consider me a skeptic if anyone other than like five people tell me news about realignment. Sorry, there's that word again. Let's call it conference shuffling. Moving. I'm, I'm, I'm just, we'll see. 
But it does feel like there's a lot more smoke with those four teams and the Big 12 than there ever was about any of the remaining eight Big 12 teams and any other Power 5 conference. There's people like, well, maybe them and maybe this and this could do it. Four teams keep getting listed. And maybe it's just really good PR on those teams' part. Maybe it's the Big 12 leaking this information. I don't know. You always have to look at who gains the most. But there does feel like a lot of smoke. Maybe it comes from nothing. Maybe nothing happens. Maybe it's a a small fire that's tampered out quickly. Again, Oregon and Washington holding the conference together. But it wouldn't surprise me if right now when you're listening to this, potentially on Tuesday morning, that the Pac-12 exists and that by the end of the summer, it doesn't anymore. Who knows? There's a lot of stuff going on here. Two things to understand through all this. Number one, it's about brands and what Fox and ESPN want. That's the two. Sorry, not one. Two. Two things. It's about brands, that word we keep using, and what Fox and ESPN want. Don't tell me about football records or recruiting. Don't tell me about basketball sales, success, or academics. I know the Big Ten cares about academics. The Pac-12 is about to not care as much. It's about consolidating brands by ESPN versus Fox. ESPN nabbed Oklahoma and Texas. They get Red River every year now. It's theirs. They own it. Fox owns 61% of the Big Ten network. They said, go get UCC and UCLA and bring them in. You say, UCLA has not been very good at football. USC hasn't been very good at football. It doesn't matter. They are valuable brands. You show the UCLA logo to anyone in the country, most of them can tell you what it is. That takes years of work to build a valuable brand. Massive fan base, fan base with wealth, people who know who they are and pay attention. And if you're going to show me the TV numbers from this past season, it's fine. I, I am aware that Iowa State, Oklahoma had better numbers than a game that was a different week. It's not just a one-off thing. Rome wasn't built in a day. Another interesting factor here to me is the money. Outside of Oregon and Washington, I don't think there's anyone else in the Pac-12 who's got a chance at an invite to a Big Ten or SEC. Near the Pac-12, I go back to a uh, an article by Navigate.com that was published. Oh, when was it? Uh, back in March, and they had Power Five conference payout estimates over the next through 2029. There are some who have quibbled with how much the Big 12 is actually going to make here. They uh, uh 40.6 million per school this year. They have them at 51.9 in 2029. There's some who have said well, that won't be that high. But the Pac-12, who's been behind the Big 12 by about five and a half million, is to, would would pass them by about five million. ACC would as well. You think that that's right anymore? You think this Big 12, and this projection was made before we found out USC and UCLA were leaving. The projection we've seen is the Pac-12 would pass them. That's before USC and UCLA left. You think the Pac-12 is still going to make more than the Big 12 does? I don't. I don't think so. The Big 12 needs to get its act together. Whatever happens with the Pac-12, whether all four of Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State are the right fits or not, I don't know. I don't know if they are. I think Arizona and Arizona State make a lot of sense. Colorado? Uh, they, they're not great at anything. I don't want to hear about the, the, the Boulder market and the Denver market. I, I, don't, I think that's overrated. I think it's overblown. Utah, they're great at football. How long does that hat last after Whittingham leaves? Not great at anything else. They're, they're good at some other things. But I think the four makes sense. But the Big 12 needs to make a decision, and they need to do it quickly. They need to be pounced. They need to take advantage of the situation they have. You don't just need right now your mark to come in you're not supposed to start till August 1st. You should probably start today. You don't just need him to come in to be aggressive and cunning and ruthless. He has to do more than just figure out who the next expansion 
there's that word again, teams are for the Big 12. He has to unite the athletic directors inside the Big 12. Whether through respect or fear, I don't care what it is. He has got to be a wartime general who gets his troops in line. Because we're at war, people. That's where we are. And here's the reality. Right now, everyone's not on the same page in this conference. All the ducks are not in a row. A Brett McMurphy article came out for a stadium not long after the news of USC and UCLA being poached. And, and one Big 12 source said that the conference was going to be aggressive. Dennis Dodd put out an article saying the opposite. Big 12 conference. Show a little unity. Big 12 has lacked it for years and it has held the conference back. Or the comments in Pat Ford's article. It can be taken a couple of ways. Maybe it was just a joke, a quick thought, or frustration, or resentment about who is this guy? Do you know anything about our sports? Knocking the your mark higher. Two ADs who were mentioned. I saw a lot of people mention, uh, maybe it's OU in Texas. Probably OU in Texas. That's who did. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. I think it's current sitting ADs. Look, no conference is perfectly aligned and united. The SEC has seemed less so since AM spilled the beans on OU in Texas joining. There's, there's, debate right now in that conference as to what their future conference schedule should be. But they're going to be fine. You know, Dennis Dodd said on Big 12 Radio and SiriusXM, uh, there are people in the conference who wanted the job that Yormark got. West Virginia Athletic Director Shane Lyons said on Big 12 Radio back in March that he didn't think this was the time for a non-traditional hire. Kellis Robinette of the Kansas City Star reported back in May that Kansas State Athletic Director Gene Taylor said most Big 12 leaders would prefer to hire a commissioner who has a college background, such as a sitting athletic director. For years, this was the next step for athletic directors, taking over as a conference commissioner. Those in college athletics, they got conference commissioner gigs. We've now seen three athletic directors in the Power Five hired from outside of college athletics. The sport is changing rapidly in front of us, and it's something that we as fans don't recognize. You think those in charge are, are that much better off? It's difficult when you've been in an industry for years to see it change so drastically around you, and it's something that in some cases you don't understand. So... To recap, Big 12, get yourself in alignment. The most successful football programs are aligned from the top down. The president, the athletic director, the head coach. There is an understood plan and how we're going to execute it, and there is alignment through and through. The conferences that are doing the best, there is alignment. Yeah, it it helps when they have the financial backing they do, but the SEC is aligned. The Big 10 right now, as much as we want to talk crap about Kevin Warren and how they handled the pandemic, they are aligned. The Big 12 has not been for some time. OU and Texas leaving didn't suddenly solve the problem of the discontent within the conference. It's time to move past it. I understand if a life raft from the Big 10 or the SEC comes that you're going to jump on it. I get it. As As an Oklahoma State fan and a fan of the Big 12, if OSU got an offer from the SEC, don't get me wrong. I love you all. This would be an SEC podcast network. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Kind of. But for right now, ain't no one getting an invite to the dance. No one's moving up. You are where you are. I understand as athletic directors, you have to do what's best for your school. That is your job. But get your crap together. Because this is the best situation you have ever been in in forever. Years and years and years. If you do not take advantage of it, if you waste this opportunity, if you screw it up, if you don't see what everyone else sees, an opportunity to cripple the Pac-12, or Pac-10 now, <laughs> cripple them and eliminate a conference that less than a year ago thought you were beneath them. Man, oh man, you're missing an opportunity. All right, we have uh, we got a lot today. This is a long episode. You've seen the time in it. Uh, our good friend Ari Temkin of 
Big 12 Radio, Sirius XM. Look, I'm, I'm not advertising for them. I just finally got Sirius XM. My wife, we got my wife a new car back in February and she got a free like 90 days of it and she really loved it. And they kept sending me offers of like, you get a year uh, every month for like $15 a month. And it was like $10 a month. And it was like $7 a month. And it was $5 a month. I'm like, all right. Oh, and we'll throw in a free thing. Cool. So now we have Sirius XM for her car. And I have the app on my phone. So as often as I can, I put on Big 12 Radio. It's good stuff. Ari is great. So Ari's going to join us. We're going to talk about uh, your mark a little bit. Uh, we did that interview before he was officially hired, but with an understanding, he was probably going to get the job. After that, Shahan J. Raja, our good friend from CBS Sports, is going to join us to actually talk a little football in this episode. <laughs> Uh, a little bit of football in this episode, I promise. Uh, the four teams who have not made the Big 12 conference game since it was reinstated. Kansas State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Kansas. We're going to talk about all four teams' shots of actually making the championship game this year. Realistic paths, what are roadblocks, who's got the best chance of those four. Uh, and then teams, coach is not on the hot seat. I don't want to do hot seat stuff. I, I, the hot seat stuff gets a little bit, yeah. Uh, coaches with something to prove this year, something to prove he's got two. I've got one. All three are different. So thanks for sitting around for this part. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up. Uh, speaking of great stuff coming up, big new Saturday season four continues for home field apparel. And this week, <clears throat> boomer sooner. It is sooner week. The Sooners are going to be on home field apparel coming this Saturday at 11 a.m. Central time. Noon Eastern. It's big noon Saturday, but I live in God's time, so it's it's 11 a.m. our time. Sooner fans, promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, gets you 15% off your first order. You all know how good Home Field Apparel stuff is. The logos are fantastic. I am so interested. I kind of, look, I'm not buying any of it. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not. Um, but if there's a Top Dog shirt, I will at least stare at it for a few minutes and wish that I wanted to buy it, even though I won't. If you're not an OU fan, don't worry. Oklahoma State, Texas, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, UCF, Iowa State, Baylor, Kansas, and TCU. They're all there. More than 100 schools available with the most comfortable. Now look here, I want to mention something. We've always said they're the most comfortable shirts, and they are. They changed up their shirts. They're more comfortable. They're more comfortable. They were already the most comfortable shirts you could own. Now they are more comfortable. My TCU rah-rah shirt that I got is my new favorite shirt. I wear it all the time. The logo is freaking awesome. It's a horn frog in a fur coat with a pennant. How do you beat that? And that shirt is so comfortable. And the length is perfect. Okay. Homefieldapparel.com. Promo code NETWORK12 gets you 15% off your first order. Be wrecking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you have ever worn. This football season, do it before football season. You want to have it. You want to be walking to the bar. People are like, that shirt's badass. Where did you get that? Young man, young lady. I got it here at homefieldapparel.com. You can tell them our promo code to save 15% off their first order. They'll appreciate that. They'll thank you for that. And they might even buy you a beer. Who knows? Maybe not. One other piece of news. 1012network.com, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network.com is back up and running. It was down for a little while. We had some issues. Shouts to Chris Ross, one of our pickers during the football season, former co-host, fan of the show, friend of the pod. Got our site back up and running. We have a new site, 1012network.com. It looks fantastic. You can find links to every show, all 10 shows in the network, 10 for now. I'll promise you this. By the end of the summer, we will have at least one new show in the network. My goal is two. The goal is two more. I told you we're struggling with TCU. We still are. 
Uh, but my goal is two more shows. So keep an eye on that. Follow us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, number 12, the word network. Follow us on Instagram at 1012pod. Um, by the way, Stephen Lassen, who joined us for last week's show when we did uh, Transfer Portal Winners and Losers, he works for Athlon Sports, puts together the magazine there. He sent me two copies of this summer's college football preview edition. Now, it is an OU and OSU cover, just so you know. I'm keeping one because, of course, I am, but I have one I want to give away. I've got one to give away. Um, I'll throw in a 1012 uh, network koozie and sticker with it as well for free. I'll send it to whoever does this. Sorry, um, it's going to be iTunes. If you're an iTunes listener, do us a favor. Leave us a review, five stars, screenshot it, email it to me at 1012podcast at gmail.com, T-E-N number 12, the word podcast at gmail.com. DM it to us on Twitter at 1012network. Let me see it. We'll communicate. I will get you this magazine copy that you can have it and pour over it before the season starts. I get you a koozie that you can enjoy a nice cold beverage in during the season, and I get you a sticker to stick on whatever you want. Cool? That's all you got to do. iTunes listeners, leave us a review, five-star rating, screenshot it, send it to me. Copy of Athlon Sports uh, College Football Preview is yours. Cool beans? Cool beans. Two great interviews. You're going to love them. I promise you are. It's a long one, but it is absolutely worth it, folks. So with all that said, let's get to it. This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. All right. At the time of recording this particular interview, we have just found out last night, that would have been Monday night, this is Tuesday, uh, that the Big 12 has circled the wagons around a potential new commissioner for the conference. And it looks like the Big 12 is most likely, whether it is the name we uh, we see now, whether it is him or not, it is going to be somebody from outside of college athletics Joining me to talk about this, our good friend and a guy I love going to when it comes to talking about the Big 12, Ari Temkin, Big 12 Radio on uh, on Sirius XM. Ari, welcome back, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it very much, buddy. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, this threw off my whole my whole week's plan, but that's okay. It's a fun thing to talk about. Uh, news coming out first from Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. The Big 12 is targeting Brett Yormark, the COO of Jay-Z's agency, Rock Nation, to be its next commissioner. Uh, your Mark 55 does have some uh, some time in sports, uh, working with the Nets, uh, as well as he was an executive of the Brooklyn Nets and with NASCAR. That, of course, according to Bruce Feldman. Uh, I don't... Less about your Mark, who I get the feeling by the time this episode comes out may officially have been named. Uh, more I want to talk about... The Big 12 choosing to do kind of what the Pac-12 and the Big 10 has done in going outside of college athletics. Your mark, somebody who doesn't have any experience from what we can tell in college athletics to come in and run the conference moving forward. This, it, well, just what are your thoughts in? Because hold on, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Someone had tweeted out, and man, I, there's so many people putting out a lot of information, it's hard to keep it all straight, that essentially the Big 12's top candidates uh, we're all from outside of of college athletics. I mean, what are just your initial thoughts on the direction the Big 12 seems to be going? 
Yeah, you know, it, it's something that we wondered um, after Bowlesby stepped down, you know, would they go the more traditional route? And um, it's not a surprise they haven't, you know, it, it, it follows, as you said, what the Big Ten and Pac-12 have done. Um, you know, it, it is a, a new era of college athletics. And so therefore you need new ideas. And obviously we've been talking about sort of the professionalization of college athletics. And that's, that's the impetus for hire like this, somebody that brings the cachet of having worked in pro sports before. I mean, he's got a pretty robust resume. He, he became the CEO of the, the, uh, the nets in 2005 at 36 years old. He's worked for NASCAR. Um, as you mentioned, as an executive, and he did that as, as he said in one, in one podcast I listened to this morning, you know, in order to beef up his Rolodex, um, which he does and has, um, you know, I don't, I don't know that the big 12 had a specific timeline. Obviously they, they did want to have a new commissioner in place by the time big 12 media days happened, but I think they were blown away by your mark and decided on the spot that this was the guy because, you know, his is working for, professional sports leagues, professional sports teams, and in the entertainment business, he's got a relationship with Apple, um, with uh, streaming platforms. He's done TV deals before, you know, he, he sold television inventory before. So he's, he's definitely got that up his sleeve. He's got the sports part. And yeah, I just don't think there's any question that the new era of college athletics is more of a professional world. And so they brought in the professional people as opposed to longtime college administrators. And um, I, from where I sit, my opinion of this is this is as good of a hire as the big 12 could have possibly gotten. Um, that's not a guarantee he's going to be successful, but yeah, I, I believe this is as good of a hire as the big 12 could have possibly had. And, and I, I think his main task is obviously solidifying and figuring out ways um, to, to produce great revenue streams for this conference and solidifying the conference long-term, because I, I don't know that it, it's still completely settled in terms of realignment. I think a couple of key points you hit on that I wholeheartedly agree with. One is, I don't know if this guy is going to work out or not. Can't speak to, to him specifically. His background is interesting. You know, he's got connections to athletics, professional athletics, and now working in the media field. I mean, it makes a ton of sense with the ever-changing environment that we're in to bring somebody who has his background in to help this conference move into the future. Again, not about him specifically, but I do think we're seeing more conferences go outside of college athletics. And I do think there has been, it's, it's, it has caused some issues. Obviously, when, when COVID hit, having the Big Ten new commissioner being from outside of college athletics, you didn't have the pre-built relationships that were there. Things have not moved as smoothly to me in college sports with the changes, because you didn't have the relationships that were established amongst all the commissioners all coming from a similar background. So there's been some bumps in the road, I think, because of that. But I also think you're you're trying to navigate the professionalism, and I think that's the best way to, to describe it, of college sports. You've, you've got NIL. You've got the transfer portal. You've got all these things going on that trying to bring somebody in who whose view of college sports might be a little bit dated based off of how the world used to operate. I think bringing somebody from outside who has new ideas is important. And the big thing for me is it, and this part of it, the credit is to Bowlesby, part of it's to the school presidents and ADs. The Big 12 has always felt reactionary and really has ever since it switched to 10 teams. 
Um, it hasn't felt like a conference that's been a, an aggressor like the SEC has been, obviously. And I'm not saying that they, they can or should be, but it would be nice to see somebody come in with some new ideas to put the Big 12 more in the driver's seat as opposed to someone who's just kind of feels like coming along for the ride with all the, the rest of the, the power conferences in, in, in college football and in college athletics. Well, and, and there's a great book, uh, Philip, that I've read. Um, it's called Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. It's written by Sports Illustrated writer David Epstein. And it, it, basically the idea, the genesis of it is, you know, we, we live in a world where we think, you know, as parents with kids that you, you have to push your kids to specialize in a sport at an early age. You know, and the Tiger Woods effect. He was playing ten. He was playing tennis. He's playing golf at two years old, and you know, and that's what you have to do. And what the book's about is no, you know, the best outcomes are derived from those that have general views of the world, have different experiences, and then they bring those new ideas and new experiences to fields that are inhibited by the the insiders. And so I think this is a good example of that. I mean, this is a guy that that he's not foreign to what's, you know, to sports and to college sports, but he's going to bring new ideas. He's going to bring new thoughts on, on how to, you know, solve problems that is very much intrinsic to that book that I think is just really important. There's a learning curve here. I mean, we've heard George Klavkov make comments about college sports. That's like, Oh yeah, you're, you're just figuring that out now. Like that's kind of always how it's been. So like there's, there's a grace period there of like, figuring out things in college athletics that we've known for a long time. But I think that is over, you know, it, it, it is not as important as the range part of this, you know, not having somebody that has that bird, you know, that, that having somebody that has that bird's eye view of, of sports entertainment as opposed to collegiate sports and, and collegiate entertainment. I think for the big 12 too, you're going through, what's I think an even more dangerous time for the conference than when Texas A&M and Colorado and everybody else left. I know that the, a chunk of the conference almost left for the Pac-12 and then we can debate who's responsible for the fact that the conference stayed together. But I think you're at a very dangerous time for the Big 12 with the SEC continuing to grow in power. The SEC and the Big 10 are about to just lap everyone in, in, in revenue where you – you're dealing with a perception issue, and the last thing you want to do is get left behind financially. And I think the Big 12 is going to be fine. I do. Um, maybe the Pac-12 and the ACC pass the Big 12. Maybe that happens. Maybe they stay right in line with them. But I do think you are at a spot where you do have to get creative. And I think this is a creative move. And I, I, it, it was, I, I, I'm very optimistic without being. Uh, this is going to be great and it's going to work and it's going to be perfect. But I am very, I think I'm a little bit more optimistic today realistically than I was when we didn't even have any names. Um, it was Ross Dellinger, by the way, shout out to Ross Dellinger, who was the first to report all of this, who said that the, the three final candidates, none of them worked in the college sports industry. Um, I think it makes sense. I, I, with the names we'd heard, some of the retreads, you know, I just, I think this is the big 12 trying to take a big swing and I'm, whether it works or not, I'm kind of proud of them for doing so because it is, to me, the right move. There's more risk involved, but I would rather take the risk with where the Big 12 stands than take the comfortable pick here and almost guarantee yourself as the the number five in the P5. Let me ask you something. 
how, how would you feel if the Big 12 negotiated a television rights deal with Apple TV and they got a deal that was twice as much as their current deal, but had to put all of their inventory on, on Apple's Apple Plus platform? Man. I hate that for the parts of the country, West Virginia, where internet access isn't the best, and so it's hard to do that. Um, Apple TV is not cheap. But on the other hand, the less things I have to pay for, the better. And if you tell me I get everything in one spot, as opposed to I've got to have an app for Fox, and I've got to have an app for ESPN. No, I've also got to make sure I have ESPN Plus that I'm paying. Oh, and I also have... (coughs) Excuse me. At this point... I would rather spend a larger chunk on one thing than smaller amounts that equal up to more on a bunch of different things that I could But you think it would be detrimental to the, at this point in time, how detrimental do you think it would be for the conference to not be on linear television? uh, Bad, bad. Because we have not gone to full everybody's unplugged yet. And you're going to deal with older generation and older fans who that's just not going to work for. And look, ESPN Plus, we dealt with issues and bugs with them from the get-go. What kind of issues and bugs are we going to deal with with Apple TV from the get-go? Like, my guess is they'll have some... I just, I'm fine being involved with Apple TV, but if you're not on TV anymore, you're going to miss out on so much, on so many eyeballs. And I think that would be detrimental if you put everything on there. Now, if you said you're going to basically do all of what's on ESPN Plus on Apple TV and some football... I think that's fine. I just, everything moved to Apple. Like this is where it gets to, you got to do what's going to help you financially, but you can't do something that hurts you from a, an eyeball perspective. So let me just say that I, I I have no inclination, no idea what is happening with big 12 television negotiations. I just threw that out there and credit to Chris Williams from Cyclone Fanatic who wrote about this. Um, But Apple plus Apple, whatever, they they paid twice as much for the MLS as its last deal. Um, Big 12 has routinely has football games every week that outpaces the ratings of some of the biggest MLS games, right? So from a ratings perspective, the Big 12, Big 12 football is so far and away above and beyond what Apple just paid a premium for. So you almost have to take this balance of like, a, you know, it, would Apple be willing to pay a premium to convert Big 12 fans and football fans? Apple is clearly going in on sports. You know, they, there's rumors that they're going to be the next Sunday ticket uh, with that deal gets announced. Um, they obviously have the MLS. They have a baseball game once a week. So they're they're continuing to move into this area and and. Again, Chris Williams from Cyclone Fanatic pointed out they also have like 10x market cap than Disney does. So they could buy Disney and all their parks 10 times over. <laughs> so like they have the money to put ESPN out of business. I'm not saying they will, but when you talk about creativity, this is it, right? It's figuring out a way to not just say, all right, we're fine being where we are in the packing order of the conferences. It's figuring out a way to say, how do we get in front of these other conferences? How do how do we put ourselves in position from a money standpoint to try to get as close as we possibly can to be on par with the SEC uh, and in the Big Ten? I don't know if abandoning linear television today is the right idea, but I do know that trying to get as close as you possibly can to what the SEC and the Big Ten are earning 
is of paramount importance. And it sounds ridiculous to even think that, but maybe that's a possibility when you, you move all of your inventory over to a streaming platform like Apple TV. Maybe it's not something that will ever, maybe it's not something that's ready to occur quite yet. And maybe what, what we're looking at is, you know, a little bit with ESPN, a little bit with Fox, a little bit with Apple, a little bit with Amazon. But I, I'm willing to bet you that the way to maximize your television revenue at this point in time is to go to an Apple TV and say, take all of our inventory plus ancillary programming. And what will that, what, what would you pay us for that? The goal by making that move is that the financial increase for the Pick 12 is so great that it affects, the trickle down is that it affects recruiting. And in fact, may your teams become better and the Big 12 becomes more must-watch nationwide. He who has the gold makes the rules, Philip. Right. Um, th- there's a reason the Big 10 and the SEC recruit so well. <laughs> there's a reason teams like, I don't know, they're, the bad teams in the Big 10 are out-recruiting some of the better teams in the Big 12. You have the money to do so. Like All of it matters. And that Coaching just compounds matters. every year when yes. the... Big 10 and the SEC are getting 70 to 80 million per school and the ACC is in a deal they're getting 35 per school. Like that's every year that compounds. It's just going to keep going worse. So I I think it's hard to completely abandon linear, but if you I do think because of course it is. I would rather be I would rather be the fewer channels I have to be on, the better you are. So I don't want to have to be in a situation like we're on Amazon and Apple and ESPN. I don't want to have four things. But if you told me a big chunk of, of Big 12 is going to be on Apple, like you're going to have all the Olympic sports, a bunch of basketball, and half of football's on Apple, and then the rest of it's going to be on ESPN or Fox, that I can deal with. And it's not, not everybody's going to be happy about it, and I understand that. But we're in a period of with college athletics of growing pains. That not everyone's not everyone's happy anyways with the way things are going. If you want to stay competing with the SEC and Big Ten, you're going to have to figure out the money because they are going to start falling further and further behind, and that's not that's not good. And I'm not saying the Big Twelve like something you're going to make half as much money. Like we're not I'm not buying those projections, okay? Because you lost OU in Texas, but I don't want to fall behind the Pac-12 financially. Like I just don't. That's not good. And if you can give yourself any sort of edge, and think of it this way, why does ESPN push the SEC as much as they do? Because they've invested a ton of money into it. They want the SEC to be successful. It benefits ESPN, like obviously. If the Apple, if Apple's only college football conference that they invest a ton of money into is the Big 12, how much is Apple going to push the Big 12 conference? How much more advertising are you getting across a lot of different things because Apple is pushing the Big 12 conference. So there are positives that we're not even thinking about that would come from it. It's just there's going to be some growing pains from from a viewership standpoint and people are going to be upset because they they just are not paying for that. Like, all right, well, don't. Don't watch. Right, exactly. Um, and, and again, I mean, it's a huge jump. It, it, we're eventually going there, but we're not there yet. No, but we and, will. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure people listening to this will say, well, what a – what, will ESPN talk about you if you're not on ESPN? Will Fox talk about you if you're not on Fox? Yeah, force them to. You know, if if you're at a point where your teams are competing at the highest level, they have to talk about you. They're not going to avoid talking about you because you're not with their properties. And again, eventually, we'll all be working for Apple and Amazon. 
<laughs> they're going to own everything. 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 Disney Disney won't go away. Uh, but it Just might be owned be, by Apple. Yeah. Well, my Apple, Disney, and uh, and Amazon. That's it. Those are going to be all. And Walmart. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Ari, uh, a lot of fun. Very helpful. Obviously, we will we will pay close attention to this as it continues to develop. Uh, I would expect someone is officially named in time for Big 12 Media Days at this point. It feels like it's going to be uh, Brett Yormark. I'm excited to learn more about him, uh, see his pre- press conference, assuming he gets the job. You know, usually when you see, like, this is the guy, it, it's pretty close to a done deal. Like, yeah, that Ross Tellinger is not wrong very often. I, I don't imagine no. he's wrong on this. No, I I doubt it. Um, I would expect he's the guy. I expect by the time this episode comes out that he's probably been named. Uh, we'll certainly find out. We'll talk about that. All right, dude. Appreciate your time as always, man. You are absolutely fantastic. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Literally, just you just get done with your show. You got to talk for hours on SiriusXM, and then you you're hopping on with me to do a podcast. I mean. That's, I, I appreciate that, bud. Thanks for all you do, man, and appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, guys, make sure to listen to Ari on Big 12 Radio and Sirius XM on channel 375. I finally got Sirius XM, and I'm able to listen to the show, and it was worth doing so. Are you a parent listening to this podcast with a child at home, either in middle school or high school, but already thinking about college planning, scholarships, or dreaming of them playing sports in college? Do you know a high school or middle school athlete who wants to go and play in college? Whether it's D1, D2, D3, or just they're not even sure they just want to keep playing during college. Well, let us introduce you to one of our friends of the podcast and a company who is an expert in the world of college recruiting, Recruit Route. Led by our friend Brian Bedford, a 25 year veteran of recruiting and former D1 recruiting director, Recruit Route offers a full suite of offerings to help student athletes, parents, and high school coaches be better educated and empowered to successfully navigate the college recruiting process. Check out our friends at recruit-route.com. That's recruit-route.com. Don't forget, run your route in recruiting with Recruit Route. So heading into the offseason, one of those things that everyone always likes to talk about is a dark horse. And that was a topic I thought, you know what? It's popular. It's what we do all the time. But the more I got thinking about it, the problem I had was one of the teams I wanted to consider a quote-unquote dark horse in the Big 12 is too popular. Like it's too popular of a a kind of a sneaky upset could make the title game pick. And at that point, you're no longer a dark horse. You're more of a contender. And so if if that team is taken out of the dark horse, I can't really talk about the dark horses the way I want to. So I needed a new way to frame this. Um, And as listeners know, one of the things that we really like to talk about here on the show is that... Ever since the Big 12 title game came back, a new team has made it every year. Please don't tell me about what was going on in the 12-team Big 12 back in the day. I'm talking about since the title game came back with 10 teams in the conference, a new team has made the title game every year. Obviously, we had OU and TCU year one, then Texas, Baylor, Iowa State, and then last year, we got Oklahoma State. So six of the 10 teams in the conference have now made the Big 12 title game, leaving just four that have not. And those are the four teams we're going to talk about today. And joining me, man, I, this is this is just so cool. I love when this guy comes on. Uh, boys and girls from CBS Sports Now, Shahan Jayaraja. It's uh, Shahan, you have come on this show with like three different affiliations and they get better and better every time. At some point, I'm just going to be like, uh, Shahan, who is running his own sports network uh, aside, Fox, ESPN, whatever. 
<laughs> yeah, it's funny because I don't feel that much smarter. I don't feel that much better. Uh, people just keep putting different orders of letters next to my name and uh, and the paychecks keep getting bigger. So as long as that keeps going along, I, I can't complain too much. So same quality of work, just more money. How do you, how do, can you tell me the secret to that level of success, please? That would be very helpful. Uh, yeah, get, uh, get very lucky, but no, I, I, to be sincere for a second, I mean, you know, there's so many talented, uh, journalists in this space and I'm just lucky that I've had some really good luck and work with some really great people who've been able to help connect me along the way. So, uh, you know, but, but look, no matter where I'm at, I'm, I'm still the same guy uh, and, and I'm happy to jump on any podcast that, that wants me, but especially you guys, obviously you guys are my, one of my home podcasts. Hey, I appreciate that as a as a Baylor grad, someone who used to cover the Big 12, uh, cover the state of Texas, and now gets to do everybody. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on here. Okay, so today we are talking about uh, the four teams who have yet to make the Big 12 title game since it came back. And I want to talk about, realistically, how much of a shot do each of those teams have? Those four teams, of course, are Kansas State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, and Kansas. Now, look. I get it with Kansas, but I'm going to give them their due respect to talk about them a little bit anyways, because this is a different way to do so. Uh, and and I want to start with the team that I was kind of referencing before of, they are kind of a dark horse, but at this point, I think you're buying stock in them. Our friends Keegan, Parker Fleming, Ian Boyd, myself, like the more people who keep paying attention to the Kansas State Wildcats, I think the more people are kind of getting on board that train, buying real estate, buying stock. In fact, the only ones that I can see who are vehemently like, no, they're terrible, are Iowa State fans because Farmageddon is now the best new rivalry in the Big 12. So, Shahan, let's talk about Kansas State to start with. I mean, sell me on the idea. Is is it a hard sell or do you think Kansas State actually has a realistic shot of being the team to keep this trend going and reaching the Big 12 title game this year for the first time? Yeah, I mean, the, another uh, entity that I had to point to as maybe being lower than I expected on Kansas State is Vegas. So if you want to make some money, the line right now is only six and a half. That seems crazy low to me. I, I don't see the logic in it at all. But I think that as you are around the sport longer and longer, uh, even in the transfer portal age, the biggest things that I look at, right, are talented quarterback. I like to see returning talent, but I think talent at quarterback is, is good enough. Uh, having a really dynamic playmaker can be a huge advantage. Uh, having experience elsewhere certainly plays an advantage. Uh, and, and I think that when you have a star on defense, it helps too. And I'm not, it's definitive. There's a lot of really good players in the big 12, but there is a very legitimate case to be made that Kansas state has bet both the best offensive player in the league in running back Deuce Vaughn and the best defensive player in the league in defensive end Felix and Aduke Uzoma. Now, obviously, there's co competition. Some people are going to be upset with me saying that. But, uh, but you know, I mean, Deuce Vaughn, I think, uh, what he's been able to do, the way that he's been able to grow uh, as a complete playmaker, as an all-purpose player, is really special. I, I mean, I think that he's one of the most underrated players in college football. And teaming him up with a player like Adrian Martinez in a system and in a structure that I think will fit him much better than sort of the chaos that he was dealt at Nebraska makes a lot of sense. They, they have talent returning at receiver. They have talent returning on the offensive line. Uh, and defensively, they've done a great job over the past couple of years of just being consistent. And when I look at sort of the I mean, I don't want to say the have not teams, but you know, the teams that don't recruit at that top level of the big 12, I think that what I really like to see, and Iowa state was this team the last two years, I think in a lot of ways, I like to see 
having a few stars, having a few players who can really present mismatches mixed with a team full of solid players who are not going to make mistakes. And so when I look at Kansas State on both sides of the ball, along with the coaching staff, by the way, which I think is great, there's a lot of reasons to believe that uh, that sort of a breakout year is coming for Chris Kleiman and his staff. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, you know, you had year one for Kleiman and it went really well, better than anybody expected. COVID wrecked the next year. Um, you've had quarterback injuries and inconsistency. I think the big hearing here is you get the returning production, but I think whether you buy into Kansas state this year or not heading into the season is how you feel about Adrian Martinez. Uh, I think everybody who's high on Kansas state is kind of high on Martinez and understands kind of how much credit he actually deserves for the issues at Nebraska and how much credit Nebraska actually deserves for his issues there. And I do think you're going to a coaching staff that is, perfectly suited to take his talents, utilize them, and help him not make as many of the mistakes as he had at Nebraska, which I think put too much pressure on him, put too much on his shoulders to do. Not to mention he had to you know, work behind one of the worst offensive lines in college football uh, and now comes to a Kansas State program where I'm not saying their offensive line is you know, one of the best, but it is a significant upgrade for him, which should make a huge impact. You get a weapon like Deuce Vaughn. Uh, we talked about our, our pass catching rankings a couple weeks ago. We ha- I had Kansas State pretty high because I like what they have specifically with Deuce Vaughn. I know there's going to be a battle between him and B. John Robinson for the best running back, um, but I think Deuce Vaughn is, if you want to say that B. John's the best true running back, fine. Uh, Deuce to me is the best overall like Swiss army knife weapon of how you can use him in so many different ways. I think you put all of that together with what Kansas State's bringing back on a defense that I think should get better this year under their second year uh, defensive coordinator, whose name just completely slipped my mind. Um, I think there's plenty of reason to buy stock in a Kansas State team that should be good, especially in a year where you're replacing so much across the Big 12. You've got so many new quarterbacks. OU going through a coaching change. We don't know what to expect from West Virginia. Texas, you know, it's still, they've got offensive line and defensive line. It just, it's not a Big 12 that feels as sure thing as usual. And obviously, you know, every every year we go in with certain expectations and, and those expectations are, some are met and some aren't. But with so fewer set expectations this season, it does feel like it opens the door more for a team like Kansas State to take that step forward. Plus, you throw in their schedule. I think their schedule is quite good. You open with three non-conference games all at home that are all very winnable, but should at least provide a challenge for them to start the year. South Dakota is a solid FCS program. You get Missouri. You get Tulane. Then you open conference play at Oklahoma. You get Texas Tech early at Iowa State, and then you get your Idle Week. Like That is a very solid start for Kansas State. And I'm, I just I feel like they can get through that with maybe only one loss, like looking at the way that schedule set up. That means that the back half of the schedule, when you should be playing at your best, you get Oklahoma State at home, you got to go to Baylor, uh, you got to go to West Virginia. This is another team we're going to talk about here. But the way the schedule for Kansas State sets up, if they just keep Martinez healthy and he plays like we think, I think all these things kind of culminate into a, a perfect situation for Kansas State to have a, a breakthrough season. 
No doubt. And I think it's great that you get Oklahoma early in the year. I think it's great that you get Texas Tech early in the year. Even playing Iowa State early in the year might be when you want to get them. Uh, And so, you know, look, there's going to be some tough games later in the year. I think that the key stretch for them in terms of whether they can make the Big 12 title game is playing Oklahoma State, Texas, and at Baylor back to back to back. That's going to be the tough stretch. Um, You know, I I probably have them right on the edge of making the Big 12 title game. I I think that, you know, I did a projection of every game at CBSSports.com and it's June. You know, things are going to change by the time that we get to August and September. But uh, I had them going nine and three. Right. And and so right on the edge, probably of making the Big 12 title game. But if there's a team that's going to break through and be one of these teams that hasn't made it before that makes it. It feels like Kansas State is that team. You know, I I went on a Kansas State podcast actually with an episode coming out on Wednesday this week. uh, And basically one of the things that they said is, you know, what's the difference between Kansas State and Iowa State? Why is Matt Campbell talked about like this? Why is Chris Lyman talked about like this? And the answer for me is that Matt Campbell had that breakout season. He had that year where they finished first in the Big 12 in the regular season and played in the uh, in the conference championship game and won a New Year's Six Bowl. We're waiting for Kansas State to have that moment before we can really kind of consider them along with some of these top teams in the conference heading forward. And this is probably their best roster with an opportunity to do it, like you mentioned, also in a Big 12, where to me, there are some teams that I really like but there's no Oklahoma. There's no favorite who's going to just overwhelm everybody. I think that there's five teams that have a really good shot of competing for the big 12 title game. And Kansas state is one of them. Agreed. All right. So we got three more teams to get to here. Uh, by the way, that Kansas state podcast is Bosco's boys. We are big friends or fans and friends uh, and, and contributors to them. So uh, go and check that out. We always like the Bosco's boys. Uh, okay. Let's move over to, well, let me ask you this, Shahan. I'm gonna let you pick next uh, of the three left. We are talking about West Virginia, Texas tech and Kansas who it, it feels like Kansas state's kind of the team we would give the best odds to um, who would you give the next best odds of this group to potentially reach the big 12 title game? I think I see the path for West Virginia just a little bit clearer than maybe those other two teams. Um, but, you know, look, we just heard this morning, that, uh, you know, we're recording on June 27th, Lynn J. Dixon at running back is transferring out of the program after arriving over the off season. And he's not the first one, right? They've, I believe, lost over 20 players to the transfer portal at various times this off season. Uh, but the flip side is we feel like they should, have their quarterback answer in JT Daniels, right? They obviously bring in offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell, who I think is going to help out that offense a whole lot, but I don't know. The questions for me about West Virginia are almost more existential at this point than they are about players or schemes or coaches. We just did our transfer portal winners and losers last week. Um, West Virginia lost a ton to the portal and they brought some back, but not enough to me. And especially on defense, like, we talked about this. Neil Brown on that team has been a defensive team since he got there. That team, the defense is the reason they have won games. I mean, I think back to last year, Virginia Tech. They don't win that game if the defense doesn't step up in the way they do. So, with all they lost, I'm I'm, le- I'm supposed to believe that they've got the guys to replace them, ready to step foot onto the field this year and replace what was lost. And I have a hard time with it. I know what West Virginia brings back. I know Dante Stills is is freaking awesome, but there's so much replaced, especially in the secondary. My question for West Virginia becomes, in theory, we've upgraded at quarterback. We're talking about a former five-star that we haven't seen play that much, has had some injury issues. 
in theory, we've upgraded at quarterback, which has been the the Achilles heel for West Virginia. I went back and looked through last year and was rewatching the OSU West Virginia game from last season, and I am I am convinced that if West Virginia had a quarterback who could connect downfield, West Virginia beats Oklahoma State at home last year. Like that's just I that's how good the defense was and how frustrating the quarterback position has been since Neil Brown got to West Virginia. So does JT Daniels fix this problem? Does he come out and does West Virginia look that much better on offense? Because with the step back, I think they'll take on defense. Do they have enough on offense to not only compensate for that, but take them that much further? And that's my big question. I just, it's a question I don't think we're really going to be able to answer until we see them take the field. And looking at that schedule, I mean, it's not, it's not an easy start. You open at Pitt in a huge game that I am, that's a Thursday night game. I, I cannot wait for essentially the first game I'm going to watch week one be West Virginia Pitt. You get Kansas and Townsend, a road game at Virginia Tech, and a road game at, at Texas. I know you've got two kind of gimmies in there. That is a that is a tricky start to the season for West Virginia. Like if you told me they started three and two or four and one, I'd be like, oh, okay. If you told me they start two and three, I'd buy it. I just, until we see what JT Daniels and the offense, and the deep, what this team looks like, I'm having a hard time predicting what to expect from them for a whole season. Yeah. I mean, and, and you mentioned, obviously they get a, they get a bye week after that before a Thursday game, but then they get Baylor right after that. So they could be sitting at like two and four halfway through the season. If things don't click right away. And, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously get to Kansas later. I don't think that they could beat West Virginia that early in the year, but it's also not going to be a gimme as much as it's been in, in recent years. So it's a tough start to the season. And you mentioned it, you know, I, I always kind of go back to, uh, to like this made up rule that I made up a couple of years ago called the Jim McElwain corollary, which is if the side of the ball that you're known for coaching as a head coach is the side that's holding your team back. I have some real questions about you as a coach and we've seen Neil Brown have great offenses during his time at Troy. Uh, I don't think that it's that he forgot how to coach offense by any means, but you know, he's now bringing in somebody to fully run the offense in Graham Harrell. It's going to be different, right? I mean, it's going to be more of a true air raid style system instead of kind of the combo stuff that they've been doing with some air raid and spread stuff. Uh, I, I'm very curious, you know, what is the vision for this program heading into this year? Now you talk about the quarterback position, I do feel pretty confident that between JT Daniels and Nico Martial, one of these guys is going to be able to be that guy who threatens down the field. The question for me is, were the issues that Jared Dagey had purely about him? Because the offensive line has been inconsistent as at best over the past couple of years. I think it'll be a decent unit this year, but it's not going to be a great unit. And I don't love their playmakers. I don't love the receivers that they have. Uh, You know, they have a couple of nice names. They have some fast guys, but they've dealt with drops for each of the past two years. Some of that is is definitely on Jared Dagey, but some of it's not. Uh, You know, I don't know if they necessarily have those guys uh, to, to really threaten down the field in that kind of way, even if they do have the quarterback who can do it. And defensively, like you mentioned, if they take a full step back, I don't know the vision, right? I mean, this was not a very good team last year. And while I think that offensively, if the quarterback hits, if they're able to improve on the offensive line, there's a chance that it comes together. I'm worried about them being a truly full team. Uh, You know, I 
back a couple of years ago, right, when you look at the sort of first years West Virginia in the Big 12 under Dana Holgerson, that was always the complaint. They, they could never get the offense and defense working at the same time. And this is kind of a worse version of that, right? We haven't been able to see the offense be able to work at the same time as a really, really good defense that West Virginia's had. Uh, there's a chance, but again, I mean, for a coach that's heading into a pretty hot seat year, getting Pitt, Virginia Tech, Texas, and Baylor in the first half of your schedule, in a good year, that's tough. And we'll have to see whether this is a good year. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but I feel like last year was it with the defense they had at West Virginia. Last year was a huge, huge missed opportunity for Neil Brown and that team. That if they had just figured out the quarterback, that they had a they have a much more successful season. Uh, but that was then, and and this is now. So we'll we'll certainly see. Okay, we're gonna save. Let's save Texas Tech. Let's just go ahead and get Kansas out of the way here. I don't mean I, I don't want to be tongue in cheek. I don't want to be mean. I don't want to play the like Texas. Kansas is terrible. Uh, look, Kansas is not going to make the Big Twelve title game this year. Um, but I do think it's fair to talk about them and say this is a team. If we talked about Kansas State and Vegas only having six and a half wins for Kansas State, I've seen two and a half for Kansas. Um, I'm pleased. I'm taking the over. Like I, I feel like I would like to take a, a small amount of the college fund that I've set up for my girls and just go ahead and put it on the over for Kansas this year. I feel like I'm going to make some money and maybe get college paid off a little bit earlier for them. I, I, I get it, but you look at the at what they were able to do down the stretch, and this is a new year and it's a different team. We talked about the transfer portal last week. You look at what Kansas has brought in through the portal. They've done some. I think they did the best job of any Big 12 team in upgrading that roster across the board, both at the starters and in the backups on that roster. And you look at a schedule, Tennessee Tech, who's not a really good FCS program. Yes, you have to go to West Virginia and Houston in weeks two and three, but you get Duke, who's rebuilding at home. You get Iowa State, who's going to go through a, a transition year at home. You get TCU with a new head coach at home. That's three weeks in a row. I look at this schedule for Kansas and say, if that, if the way they played at the end of the season is able to to be continued to start this year and continue to grow from there, picking Kansas to win three games feels like a pretty solid bet. No doubt. And, uh, you know, you didn't mention bringing in running back Kai Thomas from Minnesota, who once uh, Muhammad Ibrahim got hurt last year at Minnesota, he was the guy. You know, he is a proven Big Ten running back who's going to be coming to a system that Kansas, I think, makes a lot of sense for him. They've got some good transfers coming in and more than anything else, right? Like the biggest thing that I think that you can compliment Kansas about with this recruiting class is that, this is a real FBS recruiting class, right? From transfers to high school kids, they're starting to really look like, uh, you know, like you said, it's a little tongue in cheek, but they're starting to look like a real power five team, right? Like not a great one, but like an okay one. And I think that the biggest credit that you give to Lance Leipold is that he is running his team like a professional operation, which has been a struggle over the years, especially the last miles years. We really struggled to see some of that. Um, and the other thing too, uh, you know, look, maybe this is just my conversations with Dave Aranda kind of bearing into my brain, but having a plan, having a very direct plan for what you want your players to do, especially offensively is such a huge deal. And we've seen it already. We saw it, like you mentioned at the end of the year, uh, when, 
can with Kansas coming in, right? They have a plan for how they want to attack. They they run that wide zone system. They're willing to take shots down the field. Once they switched to Jalen Daniels at quarterback, things really flipped for them in a lot of ways. Those last three games, the win over Texas, 31-28 against TCU, 34-28 against West Virginia, like those are big results for what this team is trying to do. And you know, I think that when you look at long-term growth, what you really want to see, right, for a normal team is year one, maybe you start to have some proof of identity. Year two, you start to be competitive in games that you lose. And year three, you're starting to win some of those 50s, 50 games. Kansas is starting behind the eight ball in so many ways, of course. But I think that we saw closer to that sort of model than I expected to see from year one, especially considering Lance Leifold did not have an offseason to be able to build a roster, to be able to install a system uh, before he started his first year at Kansas. So going through a full offseason, I think that they're going to look like a much more well-structured team. I fully expect them to be competitive in a handful of Big 12 games this year. Uh, And I really do. I I circle that September 24th game against Duke. Uh, That's a game that I really feel like Kansas has to have. That just has to be the one where they say Duke is a team that's going into a rebuilding gear. Kansas is a team that's maybe half a step up on a rebuilding gear. If they could go out and beat Duke at home, beat another power five opponent in non-conference, it would just say so many good things, I think, about the state of the program. Now, they don't have to win it. Obviously, I think there's going to be more opportunities. But if they can be, uh, if they can beat Duke, they can be competitive on the road against West Virginia early. Uh, and if they can make it through the schedule and win a big 12 game, and I think maybe have a shot to win too, which they haven't done since 2008, that would be huge for this program. Yeah. You mentioned the, the most important stretch uh, for, uh, for Kansas state. I think it's that three week stretch of, of Duke, Iowa state and TCU September 24th through October 8th. All home three games. games at home. Yeah. Duke, Iowa State, TCU, all at home. I think it was I think it was Parker Fleming who made the point uh, on that Purple Theory that I think is good. It's for Kansas, the step for them is: can you not be a meme when you upset a team? Right? Can you no longer be the meme of college football of ha ha ha? Like we're going to make jokes about Texas losing to Kansas. That's fine, but. I think the way they ended last season, they're on that trek. And I think this year you kind of look at it and say, this isn't a slide at TCU or Iowa State in any way, shape, or form. But Kansas feels like they're becoming a team that is going to no longer be that auto W on your schedule where you gotta you got to pay attention to them. You can't just consider it an off week. It's not an extra idle week. You're going to have to play them. <coughs> and that three-game stretch there, I think, for Kansas is a – is a huge stretch because you look at the rest of the schedule. You got to go to Oklahoma. You got to go to Baylor. Uh, you get OSU and Texas at home at Texas Tech at Kansas State. Like it just that three week stretch for them could really define the season even as as early as it is in the year for them. And and I would point to the 2018 season that Kansas had. Right, so they went and beat Rutgers in non conference. They beat TCU at home, and it was embarrassing, but it wasn't a meme, right? Like it was a it was a tough loss that TCU felt bad about, but nobody really made fun of them too much for it, right? And so, and then, well, depending on who you ask, but, and then in some of those other games, right? They only played Texas within seven points, and that was a year where Texas was pretty good. They played Kansas State within four points. Uh, you know, they, they played West Virginia, who was top 10 at that point, within 16 points. That's the kind of season 
that I think that uh, Kansas has the potential to have. Now, you don't want to lose the FCS game like Kansas did that year because they would have won four games if they had that opportunity. But, uh, but I think that if Kansas can replicate some of what that last David Beatty season was, except in year two under Lance Leipold and heading, I think, in a good direction, that sets them up in a really good place to, to be competitive to make a bowl game by 2023. Well, not to mention, you know, it's not just that it was Beatty's last year. Is that that felt like with as senior laden as that roster was, like that might have been the peak under Beatty. It's hard yeah. to see them continuing to grow from there. This is year two. It feels like it would be more a sign of growth for them to win three games this year than it is just like, hey, it's a cool peak, and now we're going to go back to to one or zero wins next year. It does feel like it's moving in the right direction. All right, Texas Tech. Uh, I know you are very high on Texas Tech, and I am I am high on the Joey McGuire hire. I think he did. I think he's, what he did to put his staff together was fantastic. I love that the we're the number two ranked uh, recruiting class for 2023 right now. I love all the buzz about it. I think it's great. I don't think this is a immediate turnaround. We're going to be awesome. Great. I think this is a this is how you lay the groundwork for building a program that becomes consistently successful, you know, getting to a bowl game every season, which I think is a fair ex- expectation of, of like Texas Tech. Uh, year one, man, Texas Tech feels like the team where they could make a bowl game this year. If they don't, I don't think that's a sign of a step back. I think that's just a year one of a program where they lost some talent, not as much as I thought, but lost some talent off of last year's team. But this feels like the team this year who I'm not going to... If they somehow were to make the Big 12 title game, it's just because that offense is so stinking obnoxious that they've just outscored everyone. And the defense has, instead of giving up 68 points, is only giving up 49 points, and the offense is putting up a bunch. I, I With Texas Tech this year, I think the best thing that you could say at the end of the year about Texas Tech is that team was a pain in the ass and they upset some teams because they were so well coached and difficult to deal with. Yeah, I, I love everything that they've done this offseason. I think that they've hired a tremendous staff. Zach Kitley, Coach Bailey Zappi to the most productive season by any quarterback ever. And I don't think enough is being made about them hiring Tim DeRuder at defensive coordinator, who was a huge part of Oregon being in the college football playoff discussion last year. He's had, he's had success everywhere. I think he's going to have a lot of success at Texas Tech. Um, I, I like a lot of pieces on the roster. I'm curious about the quarterback position because I think they have some really exciting options. We'll see who kind of ends up coming out of that. To start the year, I expect it'll be Tyler Shuck, but Donovan Smith showed what he could do late in the year. Baron Morton is one of the top quarterback recruits Texas Tech has ever gotten. Uh, I like a whole lot about this team and I hate the schedule <laughs> because oh, their schedule is, Im- I don't want to say impossible, but it's pretty close to impossible. Like they could be way better than they were last year, which I think that they have a chance to be and like finish with a much worse record because in those first half of the season, right? We're kind of breaking it up into halves. Murray State, that's a win. Houston, yep. who uh, that's tough. I think Houston has a chance to be a top 15 team this year at NC state, who I think has a chance to be a top 10 team this year, Texas at home. That's a huge game. I, I would love to see Texas tech have a good performance in that game, but you know, Texas has a lot of hype right now. It's, you know, we'll kind of see what happens at Kansas state. That's not a team you want to go on the road and play 
at Oklahoma State, that's definitely not a team that you want to play on the road. And then you get West Virginia at home. And like, I think that West Virginia at home is like the moment where you have to put it together, right? So if things kind of go the way that things might go through those first six games, they might be one in five, right? Like they might just be one in five to start. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think that says anything about the state of the program or what they're doing wrong. Like you're just going to have to weather the storm. You're just going to have to do it because then you head into that second half of the season. I think that West Virginia is a team that you can beat at TCU will be an interesting game. You get Kansas at home. I expect them to beat them. I was stayed on the road. And actually, so when I did my C- when I did my, uh, my game predictions for CBS sports, I had tech beating Oklahoma in the last week of the season because it's less about that. I think that Texas tech will be better in Oklahoma, of course, but Texas Tech just has a chaos component. And it's been a few years since we've seen a real Lubbocking, uh, you know, and I think that they have three opportunities to do it this year. They have versus Texas on September 24th. They have versus Baylor on October 29th. And they have versus Oklahoma on November 26th. I think they'll get one of those games. The rest of the year might be a little in- inconsistent, but I'll tell you what, if they finish the year four and eight, but they beat Oklahoma in the last game of the year, heading into the off season with a lot of recruiting momentum, which I expect they'll still have. And with a lot of proof of concept and a lot of competitive games, I really think 2023 is going to be the year that they break out and push for eight or nine wins. And uh, again, you're just going to have to weather some of that first half of this year because it's so dang hard because you're playing two teams at the peak of their powers in Houston and NC state in the non-conference slate. But if you can weather that, there's winnable games to be had. And I think that more than anything else, right? I mean, I remember Matt Wells in his first season, right? Uh, you know, sorry to bring this one up. They beat Oklahoma State in Lubbock, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was and that was like a good, <laughs> solid, like, okay, proof of concept type victory, right? And then they never capitalized on it. That, I that think, was a uh, that was a Spencer Sanders special. Uh, That's what that game was. was it ever. I, I I remember being at that one. That one was wild. <laughs> uh, not what I expected to see when I drove out to Lubbock that week. But <laughs> but I think that uh, I think that if Texas Tech can get one of those this year, they are much better prepared to be able to capitalize on it heading into an off season, heading long term. Um, because I really, really think that they've got a special coaching staff who knows how to manage these moments off the field. Uh, and we just kind of have to wait and see whether they can pull it all together on the field. Yeah, I, I think Texas Tech's going to get somebody. Look, yeah. One thing we talked about, you know, I would pre- tell Texas Tech and Big 12 fans right now, I don't think this offense is going to look exactly like it did at Western Kentucky or at Houston Baptist. Um, Kitley's talked quite a bit. McGuire's McGuire has talked about, you know, I, forgive me. It was a two, four, seven interview and I forget who wrote it. I'm going to figure it out. Uh, talked about what the reason he hired Kitley is Kitley basically said, like, I don't run a, a scheme. I take the best players and, and run my offense around them. And lots of guys like to say that they do that, but he actually does. Like there's, he's got the proof of concept both at Houston Baptist and at Western Kentucky. Of he's going to take his best players, he's going to put them on the field, he's going to use them to to run the offense, not the opposite of Gundy, which is this is the offense you got to you got to fit into it. Um, and so I, you know, they're not going to just do what they did at Western Kentucky last year. You're going to see the tight ends utilized. You're going to see more 12, 12 man personnel, or twelve personnel. Like I just, 
I think it's going to be interesting. And I think they're going to get somebody. They are going to get somebody this year. Be it a Texas, uh, a Baylor, an Oklahoma, one of those home games. I think you are right. They are going to get somebody this year. I mean, Texas Tech almost got Baylor last year. Yeah. Um, I think if you're Texas Tech, I hate to sit here and say one and five. Like, I just, I have a hard time being like, they're going to go one and five. I feel like they get somebody in that Houston, Texas, maybe one of the road games. I, this will lead us to our Houston conversation in just a second. Like, I get NC State. I think they're getting a little bit overrated, but that doesn't mean that they're not good this year. Like, there's too many people on the NC State train. Like, it, I think it's kind of coming off the rails a little bit. Uh, for Texas, that has the potential to be a body blow game for Texas. You played Alabama two weeks ago. You're reeling from what could be a just a gnarly loss. Then you got to play a UTSA team that I think is pretty dang good and could give Texas a little bit of trouble. Then you got to go to Lubbock for Texas Tech. Like if you're Texas Tech, you're hoping like Texas is still rebounding after what's happened the last two weeks, and you can you can get them at Kansas State and NOSU. Like you know, I, I don't know. I I would pick those as losses. It's just that back half of the schedule for them. I. I think the reason I like Kansas State the most of these four is I have I see the clearest path. West Virginia, there's parts of the schedule I'm just like, I can't see you win enough of these games. Texas Tech, I can't see you win enough of these games. Kansas, I can't see you win enough of these games. I have too many stretches where I'm like, the schedule does not work in your favor here unless you're just really good. Unless, unless you just come in and, no, you've surprised us all. Your defense and offense are just clicking where you have stretches where I'm just like, I just can't see you getting enough wins through this stretch for me to say you're going to make the title game. Definitely. And I think that there are definitely pathways to either West Virginia or Texas Tech just being good and being better Mm -hmm. than we think that they are. But if you're going to ask me to bet on a team, right? Like I want to bet on the team that I've seen it. I've seen Deuce Vaughn do things. I've seen Felix Anaduke-Azoma do things. I've seen Adrian Martinez show off his talent. We'll see how he fits into this system. And, and it could not work, right? I mean, I, I think that Nebraska, obviously, last year, in a lot of ways, it didn't work. But I just see so many pieces that I know are going to be good at Kansas State that it feels like they have to be that team. It feels like they deserve that standing. And we'll see. Again, I mean, I, I love... Texas Tech staff right now maybe they just and it wouldn't shock me if they just were a talented team that was mismanaged in some ways but I don't think it happens right away I think that I I think with Texas Tech it's maybe a year or maybe two away and uh, but if they if they can get it there before 2024 2025 when we have this final realignment I mean I don't know they're going to be in pretty good shape I think long term okay I want to I want to ask you this Um, I, I meant to find the tweet but I didn't well, somebody tweeted out, you know, what's your hot take for college football 2022 season? And so I thought about it a little bit and I came up with this. And so I want your, I want your thought. Uh, my response was that if Houston were in the Big 12 this year, I would pick them to go to the Big 12 title game, uh, which I know sounds a little bit crazy, but I think if they were, Clayton Toon would be one of the top quarterbacks in the Big 12. Uh the returning production is high. I know they lost, and I can't remember the kid's name. Help me here. The the running back for the year, who was their star running back? Watson McCaskill. Thank you. Um, but I, I mean, if you're going to lose a position on the offense, running back as talented as he is, like I think you can you can handle that with the other weapons that they have. Like, and as open as the Big Twelve is this year, as wide open as it is, as many questions as as un, 
in or lacking in confidence as we have, I would feel pretty comfortable saying, and I still do, like I think Houston would could or would make the Big 12 title game if they were already in this conference with because it, it would remind me of any team that has what all they are bringing back, especially at quarterback, in any year in the Big 12, we would expect that team to make the Big 12 title game. No doubt. And they have a track record on the defensive line of putting guys not just in good positions, but into the dang NFL, right? Logan Hall became the latest guy this year to be picked right at the top of the second round. Uh, so I think that you trust that development. Um, you know, same deal. Marcus Jones was an All-America caliber safety uh, or a cornerback for them last year. You trust their development at this point. And offensively, like you mentioned, losing ultimate Caskill sucks. I, I think it does impact their ceiling. But they've got Tazon Henry, who, who might, some people might remember from his time at Texas Tech. So they have talents there. They've become a big time bounce back program for power five recruits, for high level power five recruits. Um, and, and I think you're right. I mean, if we were if we were sitting here right now making our preseason all big 12 team and Clayton Toon was eligible, he'd have a very legitimate argument to be the preseason all big 12 first team quarterback. Now mm-hmm. you you'd weigh others, right? You'd weigh a Dylan Gabriel, you'd weigh a Quinny words, you'd weigh whoever, Spencer Sanders, of course. But I think that right now on June 17th, I'd probably pick Clayton Toon as my first team quarterback. I mean, that's the kind of player that he's been. He just won uh, the Manning Camp Pass It Out Award, right? Which I think is a, a huge honor for him heading into this big year. Uh, and I think that they also have one of the best receivers in the country and Nathaniel Tank Dell, right? I think that this guy would be a preseason all big 12 first team receiver too. So they have talent. They have legitimate star talent. I think even if they were to move over to the big 12, I expect them to be in some ways, not to the quality of this team, but I think that they're going to be this year's uh, Cincinnati in a lot of ways where they are the team that uh, that is competing for that New Year's Six spot where they are competing, you know, maybe right on the edge of the college football playoff conversation. Um, you know, the schedule sets up well for them. They have three really fun, I think, uh, non-conference games at UTSA, at Texas Tech versus Kansas. I, I think that all of those provide slightly different tests and then they play Rice in week four. And, and then, you know, you go into an AAC schedule that I think they have a lot of opportunities. At SMU is going to be a lot of fun. At Memphis is going to be a lot of fun. But it's manageable. It's definitely manageable. And I could absolutely see Houston being, I mean, there's a path for them to be uh, arguably the best team in the state of Texas. And I think that would be huge for them. I mean, look, they don't have a top five NFL pick at a corner, uh, which, you know, obviously. But yeah, I mean, again, part of that is just the Big 12 is as open as it is this year. Uh, Okay, two quick corrections real quick. The uh, Joey McGuire interview Q&A by Chris Hummer. Over 247 Sports, if you haven't read it, you should. It's really good. Uh, he did a great job with it. And then the tweet that I was quote tweeting was from uh, uh, Walk On Red Shirts at Walk On Red Shirts. Okay, I got to And by the way, while, shout outs. while we're while we're talking about Joey, uh, let's let's make sure and give a shout out to Dave Campbell's Texas Football. They have uh, Joey McGuire and Jeff Trailer on the cover, kind of representing high school coaches. I'm very sad that apparently I left at a bad time. So I wasn't able to, to well, what's really fun story for Mike Craven to write, uh, but make sure and check that out. Uh, it's on their website right now, textfootball.com for subscribers. And the magazine will be coming out later in July for those who are not subscribers. Uh, all right, Jayhan, let's do one more quick thing um, before we get you out of here. Coaches, I don't want to do hot seat. 
I don't want to play hot seat, you know, hot seats, whatever. And, and every year we have coaches who end up leaving or being relieved of duty that we don't expect coming into the season. So what I'd rather do is your number one this year, big 12 coach who has something to prove or the most to prove, not necessarily because they're going to get fired, but just they're at a point in their career at their school where they really need to do something this year. Can I give two? Yeah, uh, please. Go okay, ahead. okay. I they're they're two very different cases, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think the first is it is extremely cool to be an off season champion, but Steve Sarkeesian can't go five and seven again, right? Heading into last year, we knew what they had. We knew that they had some questions at quarterback, but Xavier Worthy was seen as a top level receiver. They had other really good receivers on their roster. Uh, they had Bijan Robinson, who a lot of people considered the best overall player in the Big Twelve. He, he got to make his choice higher and Pete Kwiatkowski at defensive coordinator and they fell flat on their freaking faces. And now you sign the, uh, or well, you sign the, the number one transfer of the offseason, Quinn Ewers. You get a commitment from, uh, from obviously Arch Manning. You have this top five recruiting class. It's again, it's very cool that you have managed to put together some really good recruiting classes, but that has never been the, the biggest issue facing Texas. And, I think that whether he's able to hold it together as they play Alabama in week two of the season, as they play in what I think is going to be a really, really competitive big 12, I need to see them from a culture perspective and from a coaching perspective, look like one of the elite teams in the league. That doesn't mean they have to make the big 12 title game. That doesn't mean that they have to win the league, but they have to be competing for 10 wins. They have to, they, they just have to with what they've done over the off season with bringing in this offensive line recruiting class with bringing in the transfers that they brought in. It, it's just, it, you have to Steve Sarkeesian has not had a season as a head coach where he's lost fewer than four games. And that has to change this upcoming season. So let me, let me piggyback off there real quick. Looking at Texas, the schedule, and I know what they have. Again, we talked about receivers, pass catchers, running backs. We think we have an idea with Quinn Ewers. You've landed Arch Manning. I don't think they would fire him before Arch Manning gets to campus for fear no, of losing no. Arch Manning. He, he just saved, he just locked his career, like job down, Sarkeesian did, for at least the next, I think, three years. The defense should be better. With the questions, I know the offensive line class they brought in, but those are all freshmen. Um, they missed in the portal as far as defensive line and reinforcing it. My questions on offensive line and defensive line for Texas this year lead me to a successful year for them, expecting them to get to 10 wins. I know this is Texas, and I know all the talent they brought in, the skill talent they brought in. They brought in a ton of skill talent. I If they get to eight wins, I think that's a good year for Sark because when you landed Arch Manning, it's almost like you just put you just started the season two and zero almost. If you could get to eight wins and have a nice bowl game, I think he's gonna. You can sell. We're in the right direction. Quinn Ewers is looking really good. He's gonna be even better next year. We brought all these offensive line. They'll continue to develop. I think that would is a three win jump from last year to this year. I think is enough to at least say this is moving in the right direction. And it puts that much more pressure on 2023. But I think for me, that's a good year for Texas for this year. Yeah. I mean, I think that that gets you a satisfactory on your report card, but if you I, are, 
Based on based off of what's he's been going on the last decade, he's degrees. that's a win for Texas. <laughs> See, totally, totally. See, he's got degrees. Uh, you know, there's a reason that I don't uh, display my college GPA everywhere. As long as you pass the classes and get the paper at the end, that's all that matters. But I think that to be a successful season, to be a like a really kind of groundbreaking season, and to justify, I think, what they've done and what they're trying to do this upcoming season it has to look different. And again, it doesn't mean that they have to win the thing. It doesn't mean that they have to make the big 12 title game, but they have to be really close. They have to be in that conversation. If they get left behind by Baylor, Oklahoma state or Oklahoma, or God forbid, Kansas state, that's not going to feel real good. If you're a Texas fan, who's so excited about the recruiting wins that they've been able to have. And, and I will quickly touch on my other one, Neil Brown. He has to show something he has to, right. They have, steadily since Neil Brown gotten there atrophied from where Dana Holgerson had them. Now it's not a perfect comparison because Dana Holgerson left exactly when he did because all of his good players left that year too, but they've had to build from the ground up. And I don't think that they've done it very successfully to this point. I don't think that they have a clear identity as a program. I think that they've had a really good defensive unit. And I wonder how much credit is Neil Brown's versus that defensive coaching staff's. And offensively, it's just been a mess. Now, you're able to convince Graham Harrell to come in, and I, I like Graham Harrell a lot. I think that he's going to do some good things uh, on the offensive side of the ball. But again, when you head into year four and you don't have an identity as a team and you don't have a clear sort of strength as a coach, that's concerning to me. You know, I thought I think that we all thought after they hired Neil Brown, this coach who took Troy to 10 wins basically every single year while he was there, this was such a natural fit. And sometimes fits just don't work, right? Sometimes they aren't exactly what you think. And so heading into year four, the biggest thing I want to see, and, and there's not like a number that I need to put on this, right? Like, I don't think that they need to win eight or nine, like with Texas, but they need to have a long-term vision for their program. That's the biggest thing that I think that they're missing right now is, is sort of a, I, I mean, when I think of West Virginia football right now, I think, wow, they've had some good defensive players, but like, that's it, right? Like, I, I don't think that it's that they're a defensive team. I don't think that it's that they really develop well or, you know, I, I don't know what they are. And you look at Iowa State under Matt Campbell, you look at Kansas State under Chris Kleiman, uh, you look at Baylor right now under Dave Aranda. I, I think that these are all programs that have such clear identities. And, and I think Joey McGuire comes in with a very strong identity too at Texas Tech. So when you don't have a strong identity as a program, I think you suffer. And even if it's even if it's just getting to, you know, to six and seven again, or, or seven and six, I think that's fine. If you kind of realize what West Virginia is going to do well long-term. And I, I just haven't seen that yet. Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to do hot seats, but if there was a, a hot seat in the big 12, that, that does feel like it. I mean, everyone else, the thing about this, Matt Campbell is going into year seven and he's now the second longest tenured coach in the big 12 behind Matt, uh, Mike Gundy, like everyone else, one, two, three, four years old. So it does feel like four years. And look, your point on everyone thought it was a good hire. Of all the hire, the four hires that came four years ago, I thought that one was the best. I love climbing, but I thought that one was the best and it has not worked out. And sometimes, you know, after Tom Herman failed at Texas and uh, Scott Frost failed at Nebraska or has failed at Nebraska thus far, I I finally came to the like, there's no such thing as a sure thing. Like we right. can love a hire, but like, this is a perfect hire. There's no such thing. 
You have no idea until you actually see what they're able to do with their program. So um, I hope he finds success. I like the guy, but we'll we'll certainly see at West Virginia. Um, I have a different one. Okay. And it's Matt Campbell. Okay. And part of this is built off of every offseason. Remember, Matt Campbell doesn't have an agent, so anything that's talked about is purely because the schools are interested. Matt Campbell every year is sold as the next coach for Ohio State, for USC, for Michigan, Michigan, all these top-tier, high-level, compete-for-national-championship jobs. He is a candidate for all of these. You know, I'm going to use Mike Gundy as a comp here because I think there are some similarities. Um, And Mike Gundy gets, you know, I think this season he's been kind of listed as the best coach in the Big 12. I've seen people who want to put Aranda above him because of shiny new thing, which is fine. Um, Mike Gundy has had bad years. They've never missed a bowl game. Mike Gundy, anytime he has brought back everything that Matt Campbell did last year. I don't think he's ever finished worse than the nine or 10 wins. Uh, the thing I have with Campbell is two years now for 2020, 2021, I, I am not sure which is the real Iowa state and which is the fluke. Is it 2020 and set all the COVID stuff aside. That team was just really good. And 2021 was just, you know, they were just unlucky and things just didn't quite go their way. So they finished with seven wins or was 2020 COVID really kind of helped them get to the level it did. And 2021 was more the reality without COVID as a factor, without other, these teams dealing with these other, other circumstances out of the way, this is who Iowa State was. And I don't know. And with Iowa State losing everything that they're losing from last year, what does Iowa State do this year? Because in a down year for the best coaches, even Mike, Mike Gundy, it's at worst six and six with a bowl win. For for Campbell, for a guy who's supposed to be able to go to any of these top flight jobs and is a candidate for all of them and should be considered one of the best coaches in the country, you lose all of that. And I know this is Iowa State. What do you do? Do you miss a bowl game this year? Do you go six? Do you just get seven and five? And so now I feel like last year was the fluke because this year in a rebuilding year, you're able to at least repeat last year's record. Or do you go five and seven and miss a bowl game because you've got to replace all of this? This is a program that's built on development. I know recruiting has seen a slight uptick over the years, but it's still not just like, I mean, it's not one of the best recruiting programs in the Big 12. They just do a good job of, of finding guys that fit and building them up. I'm just, I'm, for all I've been sold on Matt Campbell, and I like Matt Campbell, I think he is a really dang good football coach. Do not take this as anything other than that. But I have a question this year to find out just for sure. Like, is he the guy that he has been sold to me as for the last three, four seasons? Or is he just a really good football coach at a and succeeding at a place that's kind of hard to win? Yeah, I think it's a totally fair question. Um, you know, the the one thing that I think the one thing that I think can't be questioned is he's brought consistency to that program, right? Yes. And uh, I'm scrolling back through the years right now. The last time that Iowa State had five years in a row of winning records was uh, 23 to 27 <laughs> in the 1900s. So this, I think that part of this, right, like part of it is he's a victim of his own success, right? That, uh, that Iowa State, uh, sorry to any Iowa State fans that are listening, when I say this, has been a bad program long-term, right? It has been a struggling program that has never really accomplished much of anything. But I think the question does become, I I think that you're right. You know, I mean, being, 
Kirk Ferentz is really good, right? Like, is really good. There's nothing wrong with being Kirk Ferentz. Nope. Kirk Ferentz isn't getting called for the Michigan job. Kirk Ferentz isn't getting called for the Notre Dame job. Kirk Ferentz, you know, that that's reserved for the people who can take something that's average and make it great. And we've seen moments of that. I mean, I think winning eight games twice in a row is is crazy for what this program is. Uh, and they don't. So I don't think they have to win the Big Twelve ever. You know, I mean, that, that, I don't think that that's really the expectation for this program. But I agree. If they can have another winning season in a year where they lose so much, I think that that is a long-term reflection of what he's built there and that he's built something that's built to last. Uh, Agreed. I, I do think that this seven and six season last year was, I don't want to call it a fluke, but like it was a lot of like 50, 50 things going the wrong direction. And when you're at Iowa state, I think that it's always going to be 50, 50 games, right? It's always going to be that, but if he can kind of bring in this next generation, because that's a big part of it too. I mean, a lot of these players who were stars on last year's team were the guys who have basically been there the whole time, right? A Brock Purdy, for example. Um, This is a new generation. It's going to need new stars. It's going to need new leaders. It's going to need new quarterbacks. It's going to need all that sort of stuff, right? If they're able to come back and be a bowl team and have a chance to finish above 500, I think that that keeps us right on track. Now, again, if they struggle, if they, God forbid, go three and nine this year, right? I think that we still think Matt Campbell's a really good coach. He is somebody who deserves to be in the top 30 of the conversation for best coaches in college football. But it does take us away from the, oh, is he in the 15 range? Is he in the 20 range where I think that he is right now? And so from that perspective, I I do think it's going to be interesting how he bounces back and whether he's able to keep this going long-term. Cause the reality is history is littered with coaches who have had nice runs that kind of lost the ball. Right. I mean, for goodness sake, Dan McCarney had a great run in the early two thousands and wasn't able to sustain it. That's what Matt Campbell has done to separate himself is five years of this. I think that if he's able to kind of build off this, then he deserves to be held in the same standard that, uh, that he has the past couple of years. Hey, you know what? Being Iowa State's Kirk Ferentz, minus, you know, the things about Kirk Ferentz that are quite awful. The Um, the, the good guy, Kirk Ferentz. uh, The the, the football coach, Kirk Ferentz, not the maybe human being, Kirk Ferentz. Um, That's not a bad thing to be. And look, Kirk's had bad years in the midst of good seasons. He's had losing seasons mixed in with 12 wins and 10 wins and 9 wins. He's had some, you know, a 4 and 8 and the seven and six, and that's that's perfectly fine. I, that doesn't make Matt Campbell a bad coach, but I do think this is the season where either we can you can continue the off season stories of if if Ohio State comes open or if Michigan State, Michigan comes open, or we can go ahead and stop having those, and we can just talk about Matt Campbell, Iowa State head coach for a long period of time, which is what I think he probably is going to be at this point. I think those stories are kind of calming down. But that offseason narrative at this point, it's no longer like, stop acting like Iowa State can't keep him. And it's more like, stop acting like he's going to get a job I don't actually think he's up for. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Sean, man, you're awesome. This was fantastic. Uh, I appreciate when I get smarter people than me to come on this show because it doesn't necessarily make me look smarter, but it does make the show better. Uh, you are fantastic. You're uh, I, I call you a very bold man for trying to predict every single outcome for the Big 12 season. That article is quite good. I'm sure the repositives or the responses were all 
positive, 100% agreement. Everyone loved it. No one had any complaints. Your email box was just uh, flowers and sunshine. <laughs> you know, it, I, I think that I, uh, I think I did okay. I think that mostly everybody was okay with what I had. I definitely got some blowback because even though I had Kansas State finishing nine and three, I did have them losing to Iowa State, and they had some thoughts. But, <laughs> but I, I think uh, you know, it's always fun to get to do that. It's always fun to get to uh, you know, kind of be a voice over at CBS Sports and kind of uh, you know, obviously I'm my own voice, but getting to kind of represent our opinion for for right this second so it's been a lot of fun and i can't wait to keep it going uh shahan definitely one of our own as a big 12 fan uh sean where can everybody check out your work man yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Araja. You can find all my work at cbssports.com. Uh, and also make sure and check out the College Football Survivor Show, uh, where we it's a, basically a playoff-centered podcast where we go real in-depth and real nerdy with the playoff in a way that I don't think anybody else really does. Don't worry, we won't just be talking about whether Bryce Young is good at football all the time. We get into the, the deep stuff of, you know, which secondary, you know, is is poised to maybe take a step that could impact the playoff. You know, so we're, we get very in the weeds and, and we make sure and talk lots of Big 12 in there too. You do great work. Uh, if you haven't read his uh, Big 12 predictions, you should. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for having me. Podcast Network.